There's a lot of things in this old world That just do not make sense Like why there's so few believers on the firing line While so many others sit the fence But if you want to know where the word of God stands And believe it wants to use your feet and hands It's time to take your faith out of the seats And into the streets And come along with me If you'll only look, then you will see WCNTV Friends, Pastor Mike with you here again on WCN TV. Thank you for joining me today. You're going to really appreciate uh, my guest today and and the book that he's written, which is the subject of our conversation, The Rose Guide to the Feasts, Festivals, and Fasts of the Bible. What a fantastic subject, topic uh, to be discussing. And in fact, uh, I'll go so far as to say this, friends. In the Christian church, there is, at least from my perspective, there is a, a revival of sorts, if I can use that word, concerning the feasts, festivals, fasts of the scriptures. Uh, and I'm not just talking about movements that we would mm, be somewhat concerned about. I'm, I'm talking about within within mainline churches, there is, seems to be a revived interest in the festivals, the feasts, the fasts, what the Bible actually says, and and the place within the life of faith for for Christians. So my guest today is, is Dr. Paul Wright. He is the editor of this book, The Feast, Festivals, and Fasts of the Bible. Um, Paul spent, I'm going to based on what we talked about before we went on the air, and you can correct me, Paul, if I'm wrong, 24 years in Jerusalem you spent. Um, and close let me enough. give close is, enough. Close enough. Close enough. Let me give a brief bio first. So Dr. Paul Wright served as president of Jerusalem University College, uh, the Institute of the Holy Land Studies, located on Mount Zion, adjacent to the old walled city of Jerusalem. Um Dr. Paul has led thousands of students on field studies throughout Israel, the Palestinian territories, Jordan, Egypt, and the Sinai. His degrees, uh, a BA in anthropology from Bethel University, an MA in history of ancient Israel, the Institute of Holy Land Studies, an MA in Old Testament from Trinity Evangelical, and a master of philosophy and PhD in Bible and ancient Near East from Hebrew Union College, quite an accomplished scholar. I'm honored to have you join me today, Paul. Thank you. Very happy to be here with you. It's, it's my honor as well. Yeah, this is a good timing for this conversation, it is. Paul. We've uh, 
We've just passed uh, Rosh Hashanah in September, um, the Jewish New Year. Uh, October the 4th was was uh, Yom Kippur. Yep. And uh, coming up on December the 18th is uh, Hanukkah. So this is, a, this is a good time to be discussing this book. Um, you suggest, and I would agree uh, in this book, that Christians should read the Bible with, with what you term geographical eyes, geographical eyes. So what do you mean by that for our viewers' sake, and why is that important, Paul? It's a good, it's a good question you're asking, geographical eyes. Uh, my uh, professional work, the part that wasn't related to administration of the school, uh, was involved in uh, looking very carefully at the uh, geographical or the historical geographical uh, context and backgrounds uh, of the Bible, mostly Old Testament, because most of the events were there, but New Testament Gospels as well in Israel. Uh, with an eye toward that context and background, uh, look, this is this is a real place. It's it's not a made up land. It's not a uh, an invention of an author. Uh, it's a real place, and the the people in the Bible, whose stories we read, were living in a real place, and and that gave them um, not just you know the context of what they were going to do for a living, you know how they were going to eat and 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 all that sort of thing, um, but uh, sort of a precarious corner of the Middle East, ancient Near East, with the empires roundabout, you know, a land that was um, today quite productive, but when you take off modern technology a bit, a bit rougher around the edges in, in terms of what the land itself had to offer. Uh, and they're making a go of it there. It's the land chosen uh, by God for them, Genesis 12, and making a go of it there. And and the, the overall living conditions uh, where they were, uh, entered into their consciousness of, of of giving them a set of metaphors about who they were and about about how to describe God, you know, as a rock or as living water, or or uh, Jesus as a shepherd. These are all geographical images. Geographical language uh, is used from a real place, um, and how does that fit in to our understanding in the in the historic narrative in the poetic texts? In the prophetic texts and so on, um, yes. what's that? What's that layer of meaning that's that's understood by the author and understood by the by the or by the original readers as well? How can we kind of get back into that? It's relevant here because the festivals, at least the big ones, the ones that uh, we tend to be most familiar with, um, the, the Passover, um, the festival of of um, of of, uh, of weeks. And uh, the one you didn't mention in the fall that we're just coming out of right now, Tabernacles or Booths, so called. Yes. Yes. Uh, they started as agricultural festivals. Uh, that's quite clear in the book of Exodus, chapter 23, when God says to celebrate times of harvest and in gathering and things. Uh, and then take on this layer of national identity uh, throughout. And how does that work? Why is that? Um, and and how does Israel, ancient Israel, and and the modern Jews as well, and Christians by extension, how do we see ourselves as connected to uh, place and connected to God's care and provision in that place? How do we celebrate that? Yes, yes, Amen. And yes. that's 
that's a good principle, I think, uh, Paul, to follow anytime we're reading in Scripture, not not only just when we are reading passages that have to do with the festivals, um, but remember the context in which the Scriptures were written, um, the worldview, if you will, of those original uh, readers. I think if we'll understand that and then apply that and and do a little bit of uh, hard work to to dig in and and yeah. understand the scriptures, I think that would really help us um, because, as you point out, the Bible is not just. Um, sometimes I think, and Paul, correct me. I don't want to misspeak, but sometimes I think Christians um, almost mythologize the Bible. They they, yeah. they disconnect don't understand that it's a real document, a real historical document that details people, places, and events. Mythologize it. Maybe that's a scary word because the Bible is not myth, but I understand what you mean. We, we, we treat it as something too otherworldly perhaps. Yes. Yes. Um, Some would say we over theologize it as well. Yes. Um, And, and I'm, I'm all for learning as much as we possibly can to help our daily walk with Jesus. But, he also walked this land. And yes, uh, what I find is that when we start to pay attention to some of the sort of the details of real life, uh, we see that the human condition hasn't changed a lot. Yes. Uh, we can use our own window as to what that is to understand some of the instruction that's being given to us by the biblical authors about how to live. Uh, so much of it is story and commentary on that. Um, and and I think we have to start there. Yeah. 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 Amen. Amen. Yeah. We say that there are uh, foundational differences between the the world of ancient Israel and the and the world that we live in today. Um, what are some of those primary differences, Paul? Uh, I'm assuming you mean that, that that would feed into our understanding of the festivals when you yes. say that, and, yes. and yes. that would mean uh, differences in terms of of their worldview and how they understood themselves, and and uh, let's say whatever that world of the divine happens to be, which we know what it is, but the their neighbors didn't, the Canaanites, of course. Yes, yes, right. um, yes. Significant. The, the, the most significant difference, of course, is is what we term as monotheism, one God. Mm-hmm. Um, not a lot of them. Not, not many. Not not more than one. <laughs> one God, right. and an awareness that there is only one. Number one. Uh, mm-hmm. So a deity that is all consuming and all controlling, uh, and creator. So we have one address. Yeah. Uh, yes. Number one. Yes. Uh, and number two. Uh, God is somebody who, whose main, let, let me let me say, main point of interaction with people is to care and redeem. Yes, amen. To care and redeem. And when you look at the worldview of, of Israel's neighbors, whether they're the Canaanites or whether they're the, at a little further distance, the Egyptians or, or Babylonians or Assyrians, the Hittites, some of the other ones, Greece and Rome eventually multiple deities who are sort of competing in their own cosmos uh, for ascendancy over each other um, that are largely self-centered wanting people to um, basically suck up to them and serve them and uh, don't care all that much 
I won't say they don't care at all, but they don't care all that much for people down here. Um, are more interested, they're more interested in establishing their own authority and power in their own cosmic realm. Um, and so the people um, who who are acknowledging those deities or pretending to because they don't exist, but we'll say acknowledging those deities, uh, tend to be fearful of them, uh, tend to to want to somehow get on their good side by doing things, mm-hmm. by... by um, for instance, in the festivals, by reenacting their great cosmic myths, if I can somehow reenact them and be on the side of the good deities, the benevolent ones, uh, maybe they'll shine blessing on my corner of the world this year as I plant my crop, yes, uh, and so on. Um, but 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 the folks never quite knew, uh, so it was an uncertain life. Uh, the landscape itself is is not nearly as blessed as other parts of the world. And, and so the one kind of fed into the other. Uh, and I like a lot, actually, this line. I, I think I quote it in the book. Um, it's in the book of Deuteronomy. It kind of summarizes the difference in my mind. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 11, uh, verses uh, 10, 11, and 12. Um, and Moses is speaking in this passage, and he's speaking to Israel. Uh, just at the end of Moses' life, getting Israel and Joshua ready to cross into their new homeland. Uh, Canaan going to become Israel. Uh, And he says to them, uh, the land of Egypt, sorry, the land into which you are crossing to possess is not like the land of Egypt from which you came, where you used to sow your seed and water it with your foot like a vegetable garden. It's a land of hills and valleys that drinks water from the rain of heaven And then verse 12, a land that the Lord your God cares for. His eyes are always on it from the beginning of the year to the end. Uh, Any place where the resources are not controlled by us, and in Israel that's certainly the case, uh, dependent on rainfall, and we don't control that. A land that doesn't get much of it to begin with, and a land that's rather deserty and rocky to begin with is going to have problems with fertility, and that's what you need for life. Mm-hmm. And so verse 12, the land that the Lord your God in the verb is cares. And that's not a verb that goes very nicely with the deities that are conceived to be by other nations around about. They don't care so much for their people. The Lord your God does. And so the festivals are times to remember what he's done and to care for others in this very clear language in the Pentateuch, about uh, when you bring in your harvest and celebrate it and remember how God brought you out of Egypt or through the wilderness, uh, in the desert and so on, gave you the Torah on Mount Sinai, invite other people who are less fortunate than you and share with them as well, the same way God shared with you. You don't have this in the ancient Near East nearly as much or consistently or nicely given as you do in the Bible. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm I'm looking in uh, in chapter one, Paul, and I and I like uh, we're, we're getting into this section here. It says one question that Bible readers often miss asking is what might be the realistic differences between what the Bible prescribes as proper behavior for celebrating and how the people of Israel on the ground actually celebrated. And then you go on to to talk about four contexts that um, help us to 
to understand uh, the the celebratory world of of okay. ancient Israel. And okay. I, I just I'm just going to give these four context, and we've kind of touched on these a little bit already, um, but I'd like to flesh this out a little bit more. It says, so those four contexts, the, the context of climate and land, the context of mealtime and eating, the context of time, and the context of, of worldview. So each of those provides important background information, doesn't it? It does. Oh, I think it very much does. I I've met a lot of folks who read the Bible, very good Christians, very good believers, you know, who will read uh, passages in the Pentateuch, the legal, what we call the legal material in the Pentateuch, mm-hmm. uh, which includes statements about keeping festivals. And the assumption is that throughout the entire time of the Old Testament, everybody in Israel kept them all the time, the way they're supposed to, the way, the way it's described. And um, I, I don't think that's, that's an accurate reading. You know, I don't think it is. I, I think that Israel as a people grew into it as a people. And I, I don't want to, um, I don't want to interpret their, their coming to, to understanding too quickly. Uh, I don't know if I said that the right way, but I, I, we, we see as we, as we read the actual narrative, the actual storyline uh, in Samuel and Kings, Joshua judges Samuel and Kings, uh, Israel doing a lot of things other than keeping Torah, keeping the keeping the the Mosaic law, and we see the prophets kind of um, um, pounding them a bit for not doing the same thing or keeping it incorrectly, maybe keeping it like the neighbors would have rather than 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 Moses says that you should. So that's part of the book as well. And to help us do that, I think we need to look at the climate, what the actual growing seasons are. You know, I think we need to look at what it means to eat. And feast, and there's a lot of different festivals taking place in the Bible: birthday parties, and 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 weddings, and and harvest time festivals, all sorts of things, as in real life with any society. Uh, in the context of time, as you mentioned, um, when do we celebrate what? And it's based on the cycle of seasons. Much of it is like it is um, many many um, celebrations still today. Um, and then, of course, as you've already mentioned, how how you see God differently. Yes. Yes. Yeah. What what I also uh, appreciated, um, you talked about a lot of the feasts that that um, the average Christian doesn't know anything about. So feasts that mark special occasions. You mentioned you mentioned birthdays uh, that mark stages of life. That right. feasts for hospitality. Feasts for for again special occasions. It was it was a normal part. Yes. Of of Israeli life, wasn't yes. it? Yes. Yes, a normal part of life like it is with people everywhere. And this is one thing that I think can connect us, not just to the people of the Bible and the authors of the biblical text, but the kinds of things that they did. How did they celebrate? And how can we maybe do it better uh, as well? Learn from learn from them. Yes. Not everything they celebrated maybe needed to be celebrated. You know, I I mentioned here probably the most um, unfamiliar or jarring section, you didn't mention this one, is that we do have evidence, both from archaeology and from language in the prophets, that one of the things that the Israelites celebrated was the um, a kind of a meal uh, with their departed ancestors. Mm. The ancients did this. 
Clearly they did this. We know the name of it. And both Jeremiah and Amos condemn people in Israel for doing the same thing, right? Yeah. Um, to try to gain power from them rather than God himself. Yes. You know, you know um, offerings to the dead, that sort of thing. Yes. Um, we don't need to follow that one today, right? Uh, yeah. But we need to know that it's a temptation to try to gain power from people who have gone um, um, before us. We think that, you know, this this idea that, and that you've heard it, Mike, you've heard it, that, that you know, a child dies and somebody says, oh, now they've become an angel. I mean, this yeah. is heresy. Yeah. Right? But we like to say it, don't we? Yes. Yeah. We like to say it. So somehow if I can gain power from these people who have gone before me, and the Bible is very clear all the way through that, that Israel had to come to a point where they understood that that's, that's not the right way to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Now the subject of uh, Shabbat is, yep. is, is one that um, of course was central, a central focus yeah. um, for um, the Jewish people. I also see Paul today that um, many Christians are now practicing Shabbat. Have you seen that same thing happening? Shabbat on Saturday. Yeah. You mean as opposed to, yes, it is. There are, there is a a very um, dynamic and I think important movement in the Christian church to rediscover the, let's say the first century roots of Christianity. You know, Jesus kept Shabbat. He was Jewish, uh, and to do to do that to um, um, keep Torah as much as as he did. It's one of the commandments, of course. You should keep the Sabbath as well uh, in a full way of um, setting aside the busyness of the week. Normally, I think actually whether we we keep the day on Saturday or Sunday, we can, we can probably learn from that. The busyness, the normal hustle and bustle of that. Just leave it alone for a bit. Just leave it. It doesn't mean you have to be in church for 24 hours, but just leave it alone for a bit, you know, and focus on the way that God has helped us in the past. And we'll do the same thing in the week to come. I think that's some of the essence of Shabbat, kind of a, a weekly checkup yes. know, as to where we should be. Yes. Yeah. And I don't think there's any argument from healthcare professionals that setting <laughs> <As laughs> well. aside that time to disengage. Well, well. Yeah, and I, I must say I, I like I like what I wrote, and I like what the other authors wrote about the Sabbath, about Shabbat, um, and I'm probably as guilty as anybody in not keeping keeping it mm-hmm. <laughs> the way that the way that we should. Yeah, you know? but, yeah. Um, it is. It is. It's an important day. You know, it happens. It's. It's. It's often enough to keep us in check. You know, if it were like once a month or once a year, we'd say, mm, I kind of forget. Um, but just often enough to kind of keep us in check as to where we, what we should really be doing in life. Yes, yes. Yeah. Paul, you mentioned and quote C.S. Lewis um, in your book, and, and uh, he, he uses the phrase chronological snobbery. Snobbery. <laughs> what? How does that, how does that relate? To I don't know. I mean, maybe he and I are a snob for even using that term. But I, you know, we think. Here's the thing: we, we, you know, we both we we are living in a moment in time, you know, or a set of moments over decades. Hopefully, we have a long life, right? Um, and and because of that, of course, we need to be very connected and relevant and. 
involved with the time in the world that we're living in. But we tend to think that this is the best time or the best place or the world prior to us, let's say the world of the Bible, is best understood by looking through today's glasses back at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we can gain relevance that way, but I'm, I'm honestly more interested in trying to look through their eyes to us. Yes. Yes. Honest, and, and seeing, and, or maybe it, it's a conversation, I think maybe both, maybe both ways. Yeah. 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 I, well, the other thing we tend to do, I think, is, is look at the fullness of how the festivals, biblical festivals were celebrated, let's say in the time of the New Testament, because they had developed quite a bit by then, quite sophisticated in how they were mm-hmm. fest- celebrated, how they were celebrated in the years following the New Testament as the Jewish rabbis started to codify through Mishnah and then Talmud, oral tradition, and then writing it down, what you should do during Passover, you know, the kinds of things you should eat, you know, it eventually ends up as the Passover, the Seder plate, you know, eventually. Moses did not have a Seder plate. But what we tend to do, you know, Hezekiah did not have a Seder plate. He did not eat an egg. You know, he did not, he did not have the shank bone of a lamb, you know, and all of this. But what we tend to do is read that back. Mm-hmm. Let's see, is to read that back. And I guess if we wanted to celebrate Passover the way that Israel did, we would read what Hezekiah ate. You know, which is, you know, boiled bowls and uh, some bread, basically. And uh, it would look very different than what we are now. Now, we not not trying to denigrate it. It's it's as holidays like any part of life that it accretes. It, it becomes more full, more things that we do. We do more things, more things become relevant. We we bring our own set of traditions wherever we happen to be living in the world or whatever time onto it. Uh, and all of that can be extremely meaningful. But I, I, I wouldn't want it to get into the in the way. Any more more than we want Christmas trees to get in the way of the manger. Yes. See? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's a that's a good way to good yeah. way to explain it, Paul. I think yeah. I think it should also uh cause us to temper our our enthusiasm or maybe uh dogmatism. Um and realize that the important thing is the significance, what it was pointing to, what were represented, what's what should we know about this and learn and practice? What should our heart attitude be concerning yes. this? No, I think so, I think that's exactly right, Mike. I think it's exactly right. There are there are elements that are core, and there's a whole lot of ways of making it relevant to me at the moment that are allowable. There's flexibility. Yes. There's flexibility in how it's celebrated, just as there are in the Christian holidays. Yeah. Yes. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Well, we know that that Jesus kept Shabbat. You just you just yeah. mentioned that, and um, and we know that he kept Passover as well as as many of the other feasts. And so that that raises the question. Um, and I have friends on both sides of this. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> should should Bible-believing Christians uh, keep these as well? No, I do. I do too. And and the I can understand both sides. I appreciate both sides, and I embrace both sides. Yeah. Um, should we? And there can be great energy gained and meaning gained in keeping Passover. Um, what I where I think the danger is is 
if it's Passover at the expense of Easter, you see, or if it's if it's uh, Shavuot uh, weeks at the expense of Pentecost, you know, or or uh, we don't have a we, in, chronologically Hanukkah is close to Christmas, but it's not the same. It's not other than both of them have have the word light involved with them, but that at the expense of Christmas and and. Both is great. Both are great, I guess I would say. Um, there are, there are. I do have, I do have uh, Jewish Messianic friends uh, in Israel who who celebrate the Jewish festivals fully. You wouldn't know that they're they're the believers in Jesus, and and they don't. The Christ, the Christian festivals, the ones that um, were developed uh, in the early history of the Christian Church, not at all. Not at all. And I think that's the message of the last chapter in the book, uh, one written by uh, Reverend Heidi Kinner, uh, who's Anglican clergy, so high church, but very, very evangelical. She is very, very much a Bible believer and a good friend um, and says, just don't replace them. Uh, don't forget the saving work of Jesus. Don't forget the centrality of the cross. In the, in the early church, the main festival by far was Easter, by far. Um, or let's say Monday through Thursday through Easter. The other other festivals kind of came along with that. And all of the festivals, the Jewish festivals, were understood through the eyes of what Jesus did. What Jesus did, how he um, um, is the, is the um, you know, the Lamb of God sacrificed at Passover. He is the scapegoat at, at um, Yom Kippur. You know, he is the light that Hanukkah talks about and so on. You know, he is the one who guides and protects and shepherds us through our dry time, that Sukkot, you know, dwelling with him, tabernacling with him and so on. Um, and I think that needs to be looked at without ignoring what, 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 what Christians tend to do, I guess, on the other side is ignore where these came from. And then we lose a lot of our meaning and heritage. There is a shared heritage, I think, here that we need to embrace. Yes. Yeah. Amen. So I, so I guess um, balance is a good word to, to use in this, in this context. Um, Not one to the exclusion uh, of the other. And I know some well-meaning, well-intentioned Christians that will, will, will always, I I see it every year, Paul, about this time when we're heading into the holidays. Yeah. They'll they'll raise the issue of the pagan origins of yeah. that we that we observe as okay. as Christians. That's right, and I think that's what we're trying to get at. Bring some balance to this. Yeah. Well, well guess what? The the and I, I mentioned this as well in the first chapter that the festivals, the three main festivals, Passover, weeks, and booths, all of them had agricultural origins. And the same, their neighbors, their pagan neighbors were also celebrating at the same time of the year their agricultural festivals. Everybody was doing that. And God basically, or through Moses, said, no, wait a minute. Okay, I don't mind if you celebrate. In fact, I'd like you to celebrate these wonderful times of provision. But just know who is providing yes. for you. And know that you're doing it in response to that, not to force blessing but to respond to blessing 
and so on. And so the festivals are basically these moments of time in the shared agricultural season are redeemed. They become redeemed and connected to ancient Israel's national historic epic in the process. And I think that's very um, powerful. And we can learn from that. Yes. Yeah. So we've we've touched on worldview a couple of times already. I'd like to approach it again. Um, this is important. In fact, it's it's not just important for us in understanding the the history of our of our scriptures and why things are stated um, the way they are. Um, worldview is important for us today. In fact, just as a side note, I, I will be in uh, Missouri. Um, beginning tomorrow and teaching Thursday and Friday at a conference. Those of you who have joined us today and you you are in the Springfield, Missouri area, you may want to join us um, there. I'm going to be talking about worldviews, worldviews within the context of discipleship and evangelism first. And then the second presentation is dealing with strategies and tactics, how we... Uh, share the gospel of Christ to someone whose worldview is, is completely opposite of what ours is completely different. How do we, uh, how do we explain Christ? How do we answer the objections, clear away all of the clutter so that they get a good view of, of the cross and of Christ. And, and so that's something that, um, that we need to understand too when we approach the scriptures is worldview because the worldview of, of uh, the Hebrew people, I don't think modern Christians completely understand what their worldview was, Paul. And I think that that leads to misunderstanding something. Yes. And I'll just say it misinterpretation of some of the scriptures. No, I think so. I think so. Nor do we understand or appreciate the worldview of the, the neighbors, the world, the, the, the peoples around them. And yes. we tend to marginalize or demonize, yes. you know, the others. The Canaanites were, were the terrible, evil people. Well, they were rather sophisticated, actually. They had a, a, nice, uh, a nice setup, actually. You could get along pretty well as a Canaanite, we know from archaeology. Um, and, and they needed to be redeemed as well. Mm-hmm. And Israel grew up with them. And these festivals, I think, are a good example of 100% of what they did is not bad. Some of what they did was actually pretty good. So let's take these moments of time where you can focus on, they would say the gods, okay, God, and see how see how God is actually speaking to you. And and can and can use them to to remind yourself of who he is. You know, this is this is it's it's they're redeemable. And 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 God is in the process of doing that. The Canaanites are made in God's image too. And I think when we look around our world today where people are so different than we are, I think we have to keep the same thing in mind. You know, there's a lot there that that we can connect with and that we can we can talk the same language in order to bring people along. Yes. I think we can. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. 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 And, that, and that's a, that's a very good point. Um, 
Paul, uh, someone once said a very wise man years ago, it stuck with me. He said, we, we as Christians, as born again believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have to be fluent in two languages. The first is the language of heaven. And the second is the language of earth. Yeah. We have to be able to communicate yeah. with unbelievers, with people who, in many cases now, and this is, it's still shocking to say this about Americans, but we're living in a day, friends, among people, among fellow American citizens who know absolutely nothing about Jesus Christ. They have no background, no biblical Christian touch points, no one in their life going back two, three generations that were saved, that went to church, that raised their families as Christians. That's that's a remarkable thing to say today, Paul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I think it's it's going to be even more so in the next generation, I think. Mm. Yeah. I think that's kind of the way that we're heading and assuming assuming there isn't a... And we'd love there to be a direct intervention of God otherwise, right? A, yes, quick, amen. a quick revival, of course. But 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 that's the, the kind of the road we're we're heading on. To be able to engage with doesn't mean we agree with. That's right. It doesn't. It doesn't mean we hate if we disagree with. Yes. You know, it's quite the contrary, actually, even though we're we're told that we hate if we disagree, right? That's what we're yeah. being told. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but we need to we need to know the we need to know the thinking. And the awareness in order to to help, and this is this. I fact, in fact, I think is is our way of participating in what God did when He became human. He became one of us. Yes, didn't have to do that, and it cost Him a lot. You might say, if I could use that term, I don't know if I'd print that term. But it cost Him a lot, right? yes. but He did it anyway, and yeah. uh, He got maligned badly for it in the process. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There are um, several passages of scripture that come to mind. One of them is uh, Peter's remark, uh, of course, uh, one that we we always use to um, support the task of apologetics, and that is um, to be ready in season or out of season to give an answer for the hope that is in you. Um, and then two key words that he uses there, he says, with gentleness and reverence. Uh, how about that? Because I, I would, I would say that that does not characterize a lot of our conversations today uh, with unbelievers. Gentleness and reverence—it's no. more um, no. bulldozer, bull in a china shop. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And then we wonder why we're not listened to. Yes. <laughs> exactly right. Well, sorry about that hey. sidetrack. I just, I just thought that was that was something. So, so. You also write in in your book, you say Israelite celebrations did not occur in isolation. Now, you already pointed out, and that was a that was a very, very good point um, when we were talking about bringing balance to observing the um, Jewish festivals and feasts and and what we would call Christian holy days celebrations. Um, But they didn't occur in isolation. And the point that you made was the neighbors the Hebrew, the neighbors of the Israelite people were celebrating these very same things that called them something different. And, and Yahweh knew that. And he said, listen, just don't ever forget (laughs) the giver of the gifts. 
yeah. as opposed yeah. to yeah. and you're not and you're not currying favor with me. I love you anyway. You're my people. Um so when we understand these festivals, feasts, fasts within that context that 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 it was connected with their lives, thoroughly connected with their lives. I think that also helps us to understand the significance of these things. Right. Right. They're, they're festivals, I think, are festivaling, having, holding a festival, holding a, a feast, holding a celebration uh, is something that, that binds people together. It's a unifying force. If we do yes. it together, it's a, it's one that helps to shape and hold identity that we do it and how we do it. And that, that, that I think is where we maybe need to have some, some boundaries as to what is and is not proper for any given festival. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the fact that, that across the world, every seventh day, you know, a popular, large population, the Jewish population, people who, who will never, ever meet each other ever are doing the same thing at the same moment in time. Mm. You know, it means something. That's that, that it's a, it's a, a very big glue binds people together. And if, if others have a holy day and if that holy day happens to coincide with it or not, but once a week or for ancient Egypt, Egypt, it was once every 10 days, once every seven was a weekend. Um, or if it's twice a month on new moon and full moon or whatever it happens to be, uh, if they're doing that as well, it, it says something about about a, a, a common humanity. And it's it's already a bridge. It's already a bridge. How do you celebrate? How do how do I celebrate? It's it's a bridge to start conversation. Um, and especially, especially with our Jewish friends. Um, uh, they 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 think that we've corrupted their festivals. Many of them, we we've turned them into a, a, a Christian thing. Okay, um, but let's talk about it. Let's talk about what Jesus did. Let's talk about how he he kept them, and then how the church saw that he fulfilled them uh, as well. It's it's similarities are not to be not not the the, the fact that. That Judaism, ancient Israelite religion, modern Judaism, modern Christianity, has similarities with other groups who have other beliefs. That doesn't scare us. What it means is people are seeking, and what we look for is in the commonalities that allow us to talk to each other, look for those significant differences that say, now in this we are unique. Monotheism, I already mentioned, as opposed to the ancient Near East that God cares. And for Christians, of course, it's that God cares so much that he did something quite radical. He became a human being. Yes. You see. Amen. uh, Those we have to, those we have, those we drive into the ground. Those are our stakes. Yes. And the rest we celebrate as we will. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There's great, great value in having conversation (laughs) with those who, who um, are not disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we can learn a lot as well. Amen. That's that's exactly right. You also write, um, Paul, that God neither needs nor consumes a sacrificial item. 
Now that was uh, when I read that, I thought, wow, there's, <laughs> there's a, there's a very, very good statement. So why, why was this, why is that so important for us to grasp? Look, sacrifice is, is something that's a com. it's a theme in the Old Testament. And yeah. we have Jews sacrificing in the new. Um, certainly it's not unique to ancient Israel. Everybody did that. Yes. Everybody sacrificed to the deities as they saw them. Uh, live animal sacrifice, sometimes human sacrifice we read about, right? Yes. Giving all kinds of other things uh, they would give. Um, and the the languages we can understand it uh, other than in ancient Israel is that the gods somehow needed to be fed uh, or the the dearly departed ancestors of yourself on their journey to the afterlife to become deities have to be fed and sustained. This, for instance, is why you find, why archaeologists find pottery vessels and other things in the tombs. It was to help that journey in the afterlife, help the help the dead, the deceased person on that journey, and so on. Um, so the gods need to be taken care of. This is this is um, one of the things the gods want. They want to be taken care of and courted by by others, by people. Uh, so so what does Moses have to say about that? What does God have to say about that through Moses? Should we skip sacrificing altogether as a pagan thing? Should we just not even do it at all? Uh, but it is such an important, it carries such an important weight of giving something up, giving something of yourself up, whether it's you or whether it's something you own, whether it's livestock, you know, sheep and goats and bulls and so on. Or, or something else that we give up. And that's an important thing to do, to say that, that, that I am giving of myself to, to somebody else or to God. And so we don't not sacrifice. It's just that we realize that God doesn't need that to live, for him to live. Um, he, doesn't, he doesn't partake of it in the same way that the pagans thought their deities did. He likes it when he does it. It's a savory aroma. He likes to smell it, you might say. But that's a human way of saying it, even though that's in the, in the, um, in the Pentateuch as well. He likes that it's done. And he, um, um, I, I, I could be, I think, bold enough to say that even participates in it, in receiving it. And not, not that he's got a chair at the table eating it but participating in the experience and receiving it. And I think that can be very powerful as well, as long as we don't cross the line and say, God has to be fed too. I have to placate him by the, by the goodness of what I'm giving. He's not impressed by the goodness of what I'm giving, but he's, he's impressed with the fact that I'm giving as, much, as best as I can. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Amen. Amen. We, we talked about the, uh, the Sabbath, Shabbat, briefly. But uh, in the book, you describe it as unique and unexplained. How is it? Hmm. How is it unexplained? No, that's interesting. It is as well. But I, I do that in relationship to day four of creation. Hmm. The fourth day of creation, we already have light in day one. So what are we doing creating sun, moon, and stars in day four? I mean, what's going on here? And there's, a, 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 as you know, a very long list of commentators 
yes. who have all sorts of ideas about that, right? Yep. As to what that actually is. Um, day four, what I find interesting is this. I don't know about the science behind it, but but day four is the only day of creation where the reason is given. Uh, the lights in the heavens, sun, moon, and stars, and they shall be for signs and for seasons. For signs and for seasons. Um, and so uh, we know that the uh, sun, we can sort of, sort of count time by the sun, sun up and sun down, that's a day, right? We can, we can sort of organize our time, our seasons, um, by the sign of the moon as it goes through its phases, from new moon to full moon to, to, to no moon again. That's about 28 and a quarter days. And we can regulate then um, activities by that. They can be for seasons. And the sun then again um, uh, determines the growing season, heat and cold, and the growing season, and hence the year, right? Uh, and all of these then become moments of time that we can, uh, based on how we see the sun, moon, and stars moving up there, um, organize our time and organize our activities. And uh, because uh, of the crops that grow and the life cycle and so on, celebrate. And so they're very important for that. And of course, Passover and others are are um, celebrated on the new moon, sorry, on the full moon, on the full moon. Um, or the growing season regulates when during the spring, past, uh, the, the, the month of Nisan, the first month will begin based on how ripe the barley is in the fields. And that's based on the sun and so on. The one that doesn't fit is, is, is the, the Sabbath, the Shabbat, seven days. Um, because seven days aren't calculated based on the movement of the sun, the moon, or the stars. Mm. You can't come up with seven. It doesn't work. You know, the moon is 28, the, the month is 28 and, and, um, and a half. You know, that doesn't, um, um, 356 days for the year, it doesn't divide out exactly. You know, and, and, and so the, the seven days, um, it's, 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 it's unique. It's, it's a God thing, you might say. It, it's, it stands outside. Uh, where it shows up, of course, in Genesis 1 is the seventh day of creation. And, and, and in the end, I don't mind if somebody says seven days or seven eons. That's a different question. Yes. But that, 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 that last moment that culminates all of it, uh, when we sit back and relax and not relax, relax, but reflect on what God has done during that week or during our own past week and actively engage in the blessings that he has. That's, that's, that's the, the ceasing everyday life. Uh, you can't explain it by natural phenomena. You know, it's not, it's not, it can't be explained away as pagan. You know, like maybe you could say, okay, the ancients also followed the phases of the moon. You, you can't explain it away like that. It, 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 it can only be something special. Yes. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Amen. You, you refer to um, Passover, Paul, as an issue of identity uh, yeah. for, for the Jews. Why, why is that? Who are we as a people is always an important question to ask. Who am I? Mm-hmm. Who are we as a group? And ancient Israel had already a, an early history, 
with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't call them Israelites yet. Uh, they are Semites seeking after God and uh, recipients of God's blessing and revelation and promise. But they're not yet Israel. Uh, they're the ancestors of Israel. Um, they're not Jews yet either. That's that's a term that is only is only uh, applied much later in ancient Israel's history. And they go down to Egypt for anywhere between 200 and 400 years, depending on how we do the biblical chronology. It's a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they become immersed in a larger Egyptian context. And every, had every indication, every not indication, but every opportunity uh, to forget where they came from and to become Egyptian. Mm-hmm. That's where they're living, to totally assimilate. They had every opportunity to do that, especially Moses. Yes. Raised in Pharaoh's court, you see. Mm-hmm. But they didn't. They kept They kept their memory, uh, and they kept their under, at least some partly of their understanding, and then God said, okay, now what we're going to do is take you back to the place you belong. You don't belong here in Egypt. You belong there, where Abraham and Isaac and Jacob were, and we're going to bring you out, and we're going to do it with a strong right arm and a miraculous hand, and those stories you read in the book of Exodus about the plagues and the redemption and the doorpost and the blood and the all of this yeah um and then and then go and we're going to then do it at a time when the egyptians are already celebrating and when the canaanites where you're going to are also celebrating things based on how they understand the moon and the seasons and the agriculture and blah 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 okay we're gonna we can't deny that you want to celebrate harvest But what you're going to do is add to it this new national history, which is now starting to unfold, uh, of God's great intervention in human history to bring us out of Egypt uh, in a unique event. And that then is going to become the focus of that moment of time. You're still going to harvest and eat and celebrate. But what you eat and how you eat it is going to be wrapped around this specific thing that God did for you. Uh, and the Exodus event is absolutely foundational for Judaism to this day. It's like number one. It's number one. I mean, the Holocaust is a strong event. The destruction of the temple by the Romans is a strong event. The life of David is a strong event. But 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 the Exodus moment, that's that's... That sort of shapes it all. It really does shape it all and how God can do that again and bring us together as a people through the desert and into the land. That identity cannot be shaken. Yes. It can't be shaken. And it's celebrated every year where we don't reenact the event, but we remember it. We remember it. We become part of it. Yes. in 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 a redemptive sense. Once a year. It's wonderful. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It even has a uh, an element of, uh, of eschatology in it as well, anticipating, and, and it's just a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, friends, I've been speaking with Dr. Paul Wright. The book is The Feasts, Festivals, and Fasts of the Old Testament. Um, producer's been putting that up on the screen there. It's available, Christian book, and... Um, Many other sites, I'm sure you can probably get it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and so on. But Rose, the Rose Guide to the Feasts, Festivals, and Fasts of the Bible. 
we'll wrap it up with this, Paul. What can uh, modern day Christians learn from studying the feasts and the festivals? That God cares. Mm. I think that God cares, that God wants us to celebrate that. And we can do it in many different ways. Um, But we need to pause and reflect on the great acts of redemption that he's done um, in ways that that um, 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 encourages us and makes us confident that he will continue to act in time and place on behalf of his people. Celebration is a part of life, and that, that cannot be denied. That's, amen. That's a great response. It builds, it builds community. It builds, nourishes, and strengthens the body. That's that's a beautiful, beautiful. Well, Doctor Paul, thank you so much for joining me today on uh, WCN TV. Thank you. Most welcome. Happy to be here. Thank you very much. Well, friends, that's all we have for you today. Thank you for sharing this episode with your friends and on your platforms. And and uh, get the book. You won't be disappointed. A lot of good information and insights in this book to help you, if uh, you're a born-again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, help you connect some dots in the scriptures. I always find books that do that very valuable. God bless you guys. Thank you for joining me today. We'll see you next time here on WCN-TV. Thank you.